Welcome to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. A podcast looking back into the Jewish roots of our faith. For the way forward in youth ministry discipleship. I'm Heather. And I'm Jonathan. And we are your co-hosts. This podcast is part of the Youth Cartel Podcast Network. Hey friends, it's Heather here. Um, welcome back to the show. I'm here with Jonathan as we're continuing our series Between the Testaments. Week one, we kicked off the show with Greek Hellenism, what's that about? Uh, week two, we talked about who are the Maccabees, and Jonathan brought some really great content to you all that week. And Jonathan's back again this week. He's going to be talking with us about the Apocrypha. Uh, and so this is actually our second recording because um, Jonathan's fish tank was too loud and we could not figure out a way to cancel out the noise in the last episode. <laughs> so there's no fish tank. I don't hear it. I don't hear the fish running. Are the fish okay, though, Jonathan? Are they surviving? Yeah, yeah, they, I think they're doing pretty That's well. Good. So That's they might good. think that recording in their environment is a little fishy, but <laughs> that was good. You're good at those puns. I can tell you're punny. Yeah, That's great. That was a good joke. You guys, everybody out there listening, give Jonathan a thumbs up on our Facebook page for that joke. Okay. Um, I'll take it. But hey, uh, <laughs> we are talking about the Apocrypha today. And um, because, you know, if I'm growing up in most churches, I have no idea what that is, unless I'm Catholic, or I think some Orthodox churches maybe have the Apocrypha hanging out in their Bibles. But in most evangelical circles in Westernized Christianity, we don't know what this book's all about. And quite frankly, some of us might look at it and say, oh, it's it's not canon. Don't touch it. You know what I mean? Like, and, and we don't know what to do with it. But yeah, so why don't you tell us uh, a little bit more about the Apocrypha? The Apocrypha, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those topics that we come to and, you know, it, it, there's either two sides, right? Everybody's going to say, oh, well, these are books that were added to the Bible. Or they'll say, oh, these are books that were removed from the Bible. So it's not really either of those scenarios. Mm. Um, yeah. We have the Apocrypha comes to us, mm. first of all, in the intertestamental period, right? And that's what we've right. been talking about with the Maccabees, with the, the rise of the, the, the Herods, right? Herod the Great and his yeah. ancestors, his descendants. And so the Apocrypha comes to us really out of that sort of uh, Hellenized Greco-Roman world um, that yeah. we already see in existence in the New Testament. So this intertestamental period, it's, it's the end of Malachi, right? The prophets are done. So there's that span yeah. between the end of, of Malachi before the beginning of the Gospels being written, you know, on, on this side of the, the turn of the, the centuries. Mm-hmm. And so there's a number of different uh, books that make up the Apocrypha. Um, and all of them are written, like I said, in that, you know, time span of the, you know, third, second, you know, centuries uh, B.C. Um, yep. And so the Maccabees fall here, right? And that's why we, we kind of introduced this this topic is because we've been talking about the Maccabees. So there's... Sure. There's first Maccabees. That's kind of the the original. Um, now there there are four books of Maccabees that have the title Maccabees. There's first, second, third, fourth. Um, really, first Maccabees is kind of the original. It's the oldest. It's the most that's centered just on that story. Second Maccabees is written a little bit later, where someone else comes along and takes much of the history um, from first Maccabees and then kind of builds on top of it. And then third and yeah. fourth Maccabees aren't really centered on the same narrative. They're a little bit more mm. telling the same sort of stories about Jewish persecution under Seleucid rule, 
right? So there's stories, uh, additional stories in there yeah. about martyrs. Um, there's in, uh, in one of them, there's also a story about Jewish persecution in Egypt under Ptolemy, right? Yeah. Uh, or Ptolemy, you know, if you, if you, if you can imagine the spelling, <laughs> you, it's you like, like pterodactyl, right? Exactly. Right. Um, so there's, there's additional stories, but really the, the whole core of the, the, all the books of Maccabees are demonstrating the faithfulness of God's people in persecution, right? Mm. And I think that's one of the most important messages to draw from even today that these books are really getting at. Um, but again, you have to you know keep it in its context of the world that these books were written in, where when people really were without sort of a, a spiritual home, there was no right. kingdom of Israel anymore, right? There was mm. a province under the control of Persia or under the control of Greece or under the control of Rome. You know, they didn't have the glory of Solomon's temple anymore, right? This is mm-hmm. after the exile. This is after it's been destroyed. Um mm-hmm. So the, the Apocrypha largely, I think, and this is kind of my uh, semi-scholarly view of it, is most of the books that make it up were an attempt to sort of fill the void, right? It's yeah. like they know that the prophets have ended. Nobody's actually getting this sort of divine revelation anymore. You know, God speaking to mm-hmm. Zechariah and Malachi, hey, write this down, or giving them a vision, and they know it's from yeah. him, and they go write it down. Nobody's doing that anymore. Yeah. But they know that something's going on. And so they don't have this same level of divine inspiration um, that the canonical books of Scripture have, but they're, they're wanting to fill the void to still tell the story, to tell what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the books yeah. cover a, a, a large range of different literary types, right? There's uh, Sirach, um, also known mm-hmm. as Ecclesiasticus, which is very similar mm-hmm. to the book of Proverbs, right? It's, it's wisdom sayings. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple things in it, maybe not so wise things to say, but overall it's, you know, it's yeah. a book of, of, of teaching wisdom. Um, sure. the wisdom of Solomon as the name would imply, right. The wisdom of Solomon, uh, again, another, you know, sort of wisdom literature type book. There's Psalm 151, right? So there's, mm-hmm. there's 150 Psalms in your Bible, but in the mm-hmm. Apocrypha, uh, there's actually an extra one. Um, so there's, there's narrative stories. There's the book of Tobit. There's the book of Judith. Um, there are additions in there that, you know, there's extra stories to the book of Daniel. There's additions to the book of Esther. So there's yeah. these, all these different type of extra writings that we find and they come to us from the Septuagint, right? So around the third, fourth, somewhere around there, uh, BC, the century BC, um, the, the Septuagint originally was a translation of the Torah, right? The first five books right. of Moses in translated into mm-hmm. Greek. <clears throat> so from Hebrew, translated by Hebrew scholars of the day uh, into yeah. Greek. And then from there, uh, it was later expanded. Other books were translated into Greek within another century or two. Originally, the Septuagint, mm. which Septuagint just means 70. Um, yeah. That's why that's why it's usually they use the abbreviation LXX. You know, those are the numerals for, for 70, right? So originally, um, it was just the Torah, and then within you know a few decades or so, they started translating the other books as well. And the name, the Septuagint, um, comes from a legend, and it says that uh, the the ruler of Egypt at the time had taken these uh, all these books from all across the world, and he had gathered them up, and he wanted these Jewish scholars, basically rabbis, to mm-hmm. uh, bring him the Torah in Greek so that he could read it. 
And he wanted to make sure that they wouldn't try to hide things or they wouldn't translate something in code and then him not know if they had translated mm -hmm. it accurately or not. So allegedly he took 70, or in some manuscripts 72, right. um, but he took 70 of these sages and he sequestered them all separately and they each had to write a copy of the Torah translated into Greek. And then when they were all done, they compared them all and they were all identical. That's, that's the legend. Now that that's obviously, maybe that happened, maybe it didn't. Right. Sure. Um, but that's right. that's sort of the the idea of, from the first century of the Septuagint was that it was this faithful, almost perfect translation. Mm -hmm. I, I would argue there's no of such thing Torah. as a perfect translation. But yes, it was mm -hmm. a it was a faithful, uh, solid translation of the Torah uh, into Greek. And so, because it had been received by the Greek speaking peoples, we have these extra books that come along later that also mm -hmm. tell about mm -hmm. Israel's history. That also tell stories. Um, either about the time that they live in, like Maccabees, um, or about sure. the times that came before them, right? You have um, the, mm -hmm. the book of Tobit tells about, it, it is set in Israel's captivity of Assyria hundreds of years earlier. Um, so there's, there's a question. A, so, yeah. you know, if these books are so strong in Israel's history, why weren't these books chose, chosen for the canon? I've heard, a number of different arguments on this, but I'd be curious to see what you have to say. So there's a number of, yeah, you're right. There's a number of different arguments. There's a number of uh, positions on why it wasn't selected. The The simplest is because uh, the council at Yavne, right, which is a, a rabbinic council of uh, the rabbis that met, that basically formalized the canon of the Hebrew Bible, right, what's typically called the Old Testament. Um, we sure. call it the, the Tanakh. Right, Tanakh, the TNK, yeah. the Torah, uh, prophets and writings. So when they when they set that canon, the Christian councils came along later and they said the Jews know the Old Testament, and if this is what they say the Old Testament is, then we'll take whatever canon they've set and we'll bring it in. Hmm. And so by default, that kind of set what it would be, right? So then the the kind of the, the leading question into that is why did the rabbis pick these books and not others? Right. Um, now, there's still a lot of debate, a lot of scholars, not even just, you know, kind of critical liberal scholars, but even, you know, kind of across the spectrum, uh, doubt that the Council of Yavna actually was a formal rabbinic council. Um, because there's okay. not a lot of good historical evidence to say what year exactly it took place, what exactly was decided. Um, it's more of like a, an academic necessity. Like we know that these books were chosen. We know that something had to have happened that they would have been chosen. So, you know, um, but there are references to it later on that it did happen. So it, it's one of those where okay. there's not enough evidence from its own time, but there's references yeah. back to it. So yeah. something happened, whether it was that exactly or not, something happened. Because, again, the, the Christian church comes along and just says, well, the Jews know, right? They've decided. So that's that's the Old Testament. Um, so huh. certain books. really simple. Yeah, that's why, that's like I said. That's yeah. that's kind of the simple, you know, the the, the easy answer, yeah. right? Sure. Um, certain books, uh, especially within the apocrypha, the later rabbis rejected most of it um, because they are only extant in Greek, right? And oh. you have to remember that when the rabbis come along, you know, two, three, four centuries after uh, the sure. death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah. The yeah. development of rabbinic Judaism happens uh, – it springs from a common source as Christianity, right? Both were Judaism. In the first century, to the average Roman, 
Christian Jew, there really was no difference. Christians were just another sect of Judaism, right? Sure. So as the two begin to develop, Christianity becomes more and more predominantly Gentile. And right. Judaism, of course, obviously is still centered very heavily on Jewish identity, Jewish ethnicity. And the in scholarly circles, we refer to it as the, the parting of the ways, right, Be- between Judaism and Christianity. It, for years, it was said, oh, well, this is when uh, Christians left Judaism. But uh, there are some scholars that take the view, and, and I lean more that way myself, that it's more Christianity and Judaism developed separately in contradistinction to each other. Like sure. there are certain things, developments within rabbinic Judaism, within rabbinic system that came about simply because of Christian influence and the fact that there were right. Jewish Christians still in the synagogue. At the same yeah. time, we have things like uh, some of the uh, church councils that come together. Um, it's like in the fourth and fifth centuries where they have to come together and say Judaizing is forbidden. And that means you don't keep the seventh day Sabbath. You do not. You honor the first day, you honor Sunday as the Lord's day, but you're not allowed to yeah. keep the Sabbath. Well, sure. why? Why do you need to do that? Right? It's, well, you yeah. don't need to make that rule if nobody's doing it. Right? So, again, you have this animosity towards the church, and it's predominantly mm-hmm. Greek and Greco-Roman culture, the way that it had become more and more Gentile. So the more that the rabbis became you know, in, entrenched in developing rabbinic Judaism was the, the greater the aversion they had to things simply of a Greek nature. Sure. And a lot of uh, scholars would say that, right? exactly, yes. Um, yeah. You know, kind of the animosity towards all things Jewish that we see, right? Yeah, right. Um, within the, the development of the, the Greco-Roman church. Um, mm-hmm. But so a lot of scholars would say also that the reason that a lot of these books were excluded, you know, take, for example, Maccabees. First Maccabees is not included in the Hebrew Bible. Um, Which is so super but, surprising, don't you think? Well, that's, that's, that's just it. It's it's a story yeah. of Jewish victory over the Greeks, right? right? Which should be a great story. Yeah. And it's the origin of Hanukkah, right? It's the oldest right. record that you have about keeping Hanukkah. And the Jewish canon itself excludes that book. Um, so, yeah, it, it is. It, it does sound, you know, almost counterintuitive at times. Um, but like I said, I, I, I lean more towards the direction that they were rejected because, first of all, they were Greek. And then in some of them also, because there are no mentions of God in them. First ah. um, Maccabees, for example, uh, the Greek texts, um, there's one reference. I believe they make, they make references to the Torah. They make references to being faithful to the traditions. They make references to praying. But they don't actually say, we do this for the Lord our God. Right? Sure. Um, and so there's, there's well, it's some... it's like the book of Esther. In the canon, doesn't mention God right. either. Yeah. Right? Yep. Now, interestingly, though, the Greek additions to Esther do. Hmm. So in the Apocrypha, really? you have Esther is translated into Greek, but there's some sections that are actually expanded. And in those expanded okay. sections, there are references to God. But huh. yes, and that's, that. that's, you know, it's, it's like Esther is also uh, the only, it's either the only or, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to say the only, but there may be two. Uh, books of the uh, the the Hebrew Bible that was not found among the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Esther, for whatever reason, Esther was not accepted by the community at Qumran. Oh, wouldn't that be so fun to go back there and ask them why? I would just love that. That would be so fun. It it it'd be fun to have the conversation. You know, whether it's yeah. because they're like, oh, well, because this book does not contain the name of God, um, or it's because, well, it's all about a woman being a hero. 
and there were definitely not a whole lot of women at Qumran. Yeah, so, you know. maybe. But at the same time, this, it's this like... Those guys must have been cranky. They need a woman around, right? Come on. I mean, I I don't disagree. But... <laughs> right? But, so... So, but yeah, so, so I again, have a question the, then. So, how, yep. so, then how do we, as youth ministry leaders, as those working in the church, how should we handle the Apocrypha? With, with what um, level of... I, I, yeah, just in general, how should we handle the Apocrypha? So for me, it's a kind of a secondary backup witness, right? Um, mm. A lot of things in it reaffirm the messages that we find in Scripture. Um, and a lot of the, the the material in it is supplying background to the text of the Bible itself, mostly to the New Testament. Um, I have a list mm. somewhere of a lot of parallel references, either where the New Testament will quote from an apocryphal book or where it tells something that very clearly is drawing from an apocryphal book as source material. Um, there, there's numerous things. And I think the, the reason that the authors of the new Testament would use it is the same reason that Paul would quote a pagan Greek philosopher in some of his sermons or in his letters is because it's something that the audience was familiar with. It made a point they already knew and it reinforced something that they were already familiar with. It was kind of a, a, a touch point. So for us today, especially because it seems so foreign, um, I would I would say start by treating it kind of like Josephus, right? Josephus mm-hmm. is not canon. I don't know anybody that would argue that Josephus should be canonized, right? Right. Um, but even you know even uh, you know your your normal shall we say normal everyday uh, evangelical pastor is going to know Josephus. Right. And he's sure. going to be familiar, even if you haven't read it since seminary, um, you're going to be familiar with, oh, well, yeah, this this guy wrote a lot during this time period. He gives us a lot of background information on the world mm-hmm. of the New Testament. Um, it's the same thing with a lot of this. It's a lot of background information, and it, it helps us to get a fuller picture of that period where there is otherwise silence. Right. I mean, you, yeah. you don't kind of think about it, but if you're flipping between that the last page of Malachi in your Bible and the, the, the first page of Matthew, there's hundreds of years between those. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, truthfully, knowing the past from where we came from helps us know how we got here today, right? And it helps us know and understand the story of the whole entirety of the scriptures and Hebrew people from whose root that we're now a part of, right? And so, um, Jonathan, this has been a really fun discussion on what is the Apocrypha? If you have more questions, because I do, and Jonathan knows a lot the Apocrypha. Definitely uh, ask those questions on our Facebook page, First Century Youth Ministry. Join our closed group, and we'd love to engage you in discussion about those things. So friends, thanks again for joining us for this week, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.